Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Seems like a while ago, but we heard in St. Paul's epistle to the Philippians today, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Usually when I read or hear St. Paul's words, I too often only hear the latter part, the part where he says what the mind of Christ Jesus was. That Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But what's so remarkable in, the, in this passage is that St. Paul is telling us, reminding us here, that we are also in the form of God. Unlike Jesus, we are not in the form of God by nature, but we are in the form of God by grace, through his creation of us in his image and likeness. What St. Paul goes on to say, therefore is as much about us as it is about who Jesus is. In different words, St. Paul is telling us what he tells us also in Romans chapter 13, verse 14. That is, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he says that we too, who are in the form of God, should not think that we are robbing God by being equal with God. Now, we need to be a little careful here, of course. We are the creature, not the creator. By nature, we will never be equal with God. We simply can't be, or we'd stop being who we were created to be. And yet God has ordained in his deep mercy for us that we can become equal with him in many, many ways. In fact, that's the way we were created. Remember that back to Genesis in the Garden of Eden, remember that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day? Yes, Adam still knew his place back then, at least for a little while longer. He knew that God was still the boss, but they could walk together face to face. However, however, after the fall, Moses could barely see the backside of God as he walked by while Moses was like hiding in the cleft of a rock with God's hand covering him over. Something fundamental had changed between back then and when Moses saw the backside of God. After the fall, we were no longer as close to or as equal as we were supposed to be with God. Jesus changed all of that. With Jesus, we could become God's sons and daughters too. The veil that separated the holiest of holies in the Jewish temple was torn in two, as we just heard. In Jesus' ascension, a human mind, a human body, a human soul, a human will, all of it entered into the throne room of God and sat at God's right hand. Jesus not only reestablished the Garden of Eden when God himself came in human flesh and walked with us not only in the cool of the day, but along hot, dusty roads in Jewish and Gentile territories, dined with Pharisees and sinners, partied with us at the wedding of Cana, and also stood outside our tomb and wept. But he brought us up to where Adam and Eve were always supposed to go, not just to be partners in caring for God's creations, but sons and daughters of the Most High God, not dead in shale, but in heaven. And that's what this Holy Week is all about. 
But just as there were dark times like the fall, the wanderings in the deserts, the time of the judges of Israel, the Babylonian captivity, this week there will be dark times too. We will learn, nevertheless, that God is with us. We will learn to take courage and be of good cheer because our God loves us and will never forsake us. Part of the dark times we bring upon ourselves because we are robbing from God. What is robbery? All too often we use the terms robbery, robbery, burglary, those are all hard for me anyway, but, and theft interchangeably. But they are distinct crimes. Burglary means unlawfully entering into a structure like someone's home or business with the intent to commit a crime. Now that crime could be theft, but it could also be kidnapping the occupant. Theft is unlawfully taking property that doesn't belong to you, but robbery kicks it up a notch because it involves the threat or the uh, actual use of force. So St. Paul is telling us that Jesus took something of God's by force, and we must do the same. Now, St. Paul must be talking about the human nature of Jesus, right? For Jesus' divine nature is already fully God in every way, and therefore he has nothing to take, violent or not. So the element of force is there but it's not wrongful taking because Jesus must be taking something God wants him to have, what God also wants us to have. So what is it that Jesus has taken? What must we also take by force that God wants us to have? Before we go there, first, let's examine several of, several of the scenes today where we see the wrongful taking in the stories of Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem and his subsequent passion, some of which are by force, right? First, the triumphal entry. The people throwing down their clothes and palms were expecting a military leader, someone who would throw off the Roman yoke of oppression. They wanted Jesus to be their earthly king. We know as much since Peter and the others had been carrying weapons around these days. Now the disciples had heard some seemingly conflicting statements from Jesus, so it's really not that surprising that they weren't sure what was about to go down. Yet here Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, which is a specific signal that he comes in peace versus riding in on a horse. But is that donkey a Trojan horse? Certainly the chief priests, the Pharisees and the Romans were all on edge. No matter what Jesus had, no matter what, Jesus had too much power. And they would try to seize their power back by killing Jesus. Peter, as he slices off the ear of one of the high priest's servants, is reminded by Jesus that Jesus has legions of angels who could come to his assistance and that those who use the sword will die by it. So that cannot be the violence that we're looking for today, the sort of force that Jesus calls us to today. Forget about Christian nations. Forget about Christian leaders. Heck, forget about any military or political force saving us. That's not the violence that will allow us to take what God wants us to have. Second, we hear of Judas, who we know was stealing from the money purse from the episode of the woman who cried at Jesus' feet and anointed them with perfume. His greed gets the best of him, and he makes a deal to betray Jesus. Now, when Judas realizes that they aren't just going to scourge Jesus and let him go, that they're actually going to kill him, he realizes that his choice has far deeper consequences than he had thought through. 
This too we need to be mindful of. Our actions, sometimes minor, have far-reaching consequences. But Judas commits another violence. In despair, he tries to take matters into his own hands rather than giving them back to God, giving them back to Jesus, and he takes his own life. He'd heard the mercy of Jesus, the tale of Peter's betrayal and later restoration, not just as one among the 12, but as the chief of the disciples, tells us that Judas could have had the same mercy bestowed upon himself had he merely returned to the Lord. So we must never turn our violence inward. If you're dealing with sin today, like Judas was, if you believe that Jesus would never want you, could never love you, all I can tell you is that in no uncertain terms, you're wrong. I hope that doesn't offend you. Some people don't like to be told they're wrong, but you're wrong. But we can see, only see in all of salvation history that God not only loves, but uses broken people, you and me, again and again and again for good. And I'm here to tell you that he wants to use you for good too. Finally, let's talk about Pilate. Now, Pilate was a very violent man. I won't go into any of the R-rated accounts today, but in fact, from other accounts of him, some have even doubted the gospel accounts because Pilate usually would not so much have shrugged if he was asked to take someone's life, even if the person was wrongly accused. Yet the gospels are clear. Pilate recognized that he was being played by the chief priests and Pharisees, and I can only imagine how much that got his goat. I'm also sure that it didn't help that his wife was having some pretty concerning dreams, and that Jesus was probably amongst Pilate's most unusual cases. Yet this tough guy, Pilate, and he had to have been tough to stay in power in a rebellious and challenging region like Palestine during Roman times, showed pitiful and a weak sort of violence in the case of Jesus. Pilate had already told Jesus that he had the power, at least in a worldly sense, to free him or crucify him. But instead of making the decision himself, he does it passive aggressively. He puts up Barnabas. And when that doesn't work, he just decides, I'm going to wash my hands of this, as though, like, he still isn't the one signing the order. And that's why, and he's the only one that can crucify Jesus. That's why the chief priest brought him to them. The Jews weren't allowed to use capital punishment under Roman authority although we know they occasionally broke Roman law and stoned folks to death like the proto-martyr Stephen. Pilate showed in our Southern language that he was just a wuss. Pilate's violence was weak, but God wants a decisive violence. Pilate was only concerned about his reputation so that he could continue to serve at the pleasure of the Roman emperor. Pilate only served himself. What is it then the violent taking that God expects us to do. St. Paul continues, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, unlike Pilate, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God also has highly exalted him. Jesus submitted himself as a servant, one who freely underwent a violent sacrifice. 
And that is the violence we are called to that lets us take from God what he wants to give us, love. Love is all about sacrifice. Indeed, there's no such thing as love without it. In the violent sacrifices of bulls and goats of the Old Testament, there was the symbolic blood representing life. The Jews do not eat blood, for it represents that life, the life that God endows each and every one of us with. And in the New Testament, Jesus freely and violently becomes the new sacrifice. His blood now bringing us God's life and love. St. Paul is telling us, my brothers and sisters, to take up our cross and follow Jesus, to freely make a violent sacrifice in our lives so that we too may have what God is freely offering to us. That violence may not require our martyrdom in a physical sense, but should it, may we be ready to make that sacrifice to our Lord. However, violence either way is required. That violence is against this world. It doesn't require armies or money or being a tough guy. It requires real sacrifice, though. It requires doing things that most of us find challenging. It requires detachment from the world around us. As Christians, others should notice something different about us. When everyone else is sleeping in on Sunday, we're here worshiping God. Instead of spending all our money on personal pleasures, frivolity, or keeping up with the Joneses, we give generously to our neighbors in need. Instead of feeding our every desire at all times, we abstain from certain foods and eat less, sometimes to keep our bodies in control. These sacrifices are violent because they cause harm and death. That is the death of our spiritual enemies. They beat back the decay and destruction of God's good creation. They put Satan behind us and they bring light to the darkness. They are a violence that gives up some of ourselves, kills some of ourselves, so that others may have more. And guess what? That's what Jesus did. Came down from heaven and gave us everything when we didn't deserve it. And that's what St. Paul says we have to do. We have to come down from wherever we are, whatever special gifts God has given us, whatever we think makes us special. We have to come down from that special place and humble ourselves, become a servant, and use those skills and gifts that our God has endowed us with. We must give of our time talent and treasure to God, to his church, and to our neighbors. We must give sacrificially and spread love and light. And when we do, others will not be able to count it robbery, even if, we take, even if they take from us forcefully, violently, or if they merely take from us giving nothing in return. For the source of anything taken from us is God, and God is an endless source. He has enough for all his needs and for all of ours too. St. Paul is telling us we must be of the same mind as Jesus, whose human nature trusted completely in the fact that God will provide and that we have no reason to hold back anything, anything, even our own lives from those around us. If by so doing, we will be demonstrating the love of God to those around us. St. Paul wants to be clear that God wants us not to be afraid to pour out that love and that grace to all around us. And to succeed, we must not be looking for our own needs, like the people singing Hosanna to the son of David. We must not be like Judas. We must not be like Pilate. But we must, instead of turning inward, always be turning outward toward God and neighbor. As we journey through Holy Week, through the good times and the bad. Watch how the characters 
are too often focused on themselves and how it never leads anywhere good. And watch how Jesus always turns things outward, always looks for and reminds yourself that God is up there calling us to our game, calling us to ever be more like his son, to be turning things outward, to be sacrificing all the time and telling us that we have nothing to fear in doing so because he is providing everything we need. We can take that by force and give it to others. We only need to trust God for his grace is sufficient. God will fill our cup and all those around us till they run with faith. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.